You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Isn't that good news? Forever glorified, forever risen, a living king, a holy hope. It is great that Jesus is risen. And this is one of those interesting things. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, whether you're up there on the balcony or you're down here in the seats, but you will never find Jesus' bones. Think about it. If skeptics wanted to disprove the resurrection of Christ, they would look for his bones, but you'll never find his bones. You will never find because he needs them. He's a risen Lord. He's gone physically to be in heaven, but he rose from the dead. You'll never find Jesus's bones. One of the interesting things is uh, sometimes you and I say things that are a little boneheaded. How many of you ever said something you wish you could take back? And you were like, oh, what a bonehead, right? Because you, it came out of your mouth and you're like, oh, it's, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I've had that experience. And uh, in fact, I was with another pastor at the time. And we were in a lobby of a very large church that we both worked at. And we were going to be out there selling some books. And this church has thousands of people come through it every weekend. And so to see the same people is pretty rare because you just got these massive humanity going in and out. It's, you know, it's just a lot of people coming in. So we're back there, and we haven't fully uncovered the books it's, you know, to sell them quite yet. We're about to do that. But we're just people watching. So we're just back there. We're just you know, like chilling. We're just talking to each other back and forth. And as we're doing this, um, this you know, one of the mass humanity of people that come through uh, is this really old lady, but her face has been like compressed, like like her skin just flaps. How many of you ever saw those like bitter beer face commercials back in the day? Okay. So like her, and instantly I think like, I'm not even sure she has teeth in there. I just, you know, I'm just, we're just people watching, right? And so we're watching this and I, I nudge my friend and go, I go, hey, look at that lady over there. She's got bitter beer face. And he looks and he goes instantly out of all these people, he spots her like that, right? So he's like, you mean that lady right there? I go, yeah. He goes, that lady? I go, yeah. He said, that's my mother-in-law. I said, really? He said, yeah. He goes, she worked for the FBI. She could kill you. He goes, yeah, but she definitely has bitter beer face, you know, for sure. So I saw him a few weeks ago. Of course, he reminds me of this situation. Remember when you called my mother-in-law that she had bitter beer face? I was like, yeah, I was kind of a bonehead at that moment, right? We all have times when the things we say reveal something about us. And sometimes I think the things that we say reveal to us a little bit about maybe what kind of bone you might be. For example, if you're the kind of person who says all the time, you know, just you have aspirations and dreams, and you just say, I just wish I could do this. I just wish I could do that. I wish I could go here. I wish I could go there. And all the time you're full of dreams and aspirations. They may never get realized, but you're just always like, I just wish you have no confidence maybe, but you just wish, wish, wish. You're a wish bone. That's you. If you are the kind of person who constantly criticizes or complains, just yuck, 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 all the time, just everything's negative, nothing's good enough, nothing can be perfect, and just all the time you're just, you know, criticizing and complaining, well, you just might be, if that's you, a jawbone. Some of you in the room, though, you love to argue and fight. In fact, for you, it's not even fun unless you argue and fight a little bit. And sometimes that can turn almost abusive to people who don't like to argue and fight, but you just wanna argue and fight all the time and you just go on and on with your arguments and fights. And if that's you, you're a lawyer. <laughs> Actually, you're really just a knuckle bone, right? 
You're just a knuckleball. You always like it. You like to mix it up. You like the kind of fight going on. It's not fun unless there's a disagreement or a controversy. Uh, some of you are, carry the load. You actually are doers, and you do the work, and you carry the load, and you just, if it's going to get done, it gets done by you, and you oftentimes are more comfortable letting your actions speak louder than your words, and if that's you, then you're a backbone. You put it on your back, and you get the job done, and you let your actions oftentimes speak as loud as the words that you might say. Sadly, though, some people get dismissive about the greatest questions in life. They don't want to think about death or life after death. They don't want to think about things that maybe have ultimate controversy. And these people, they, you get dismissive about it, and you're just like, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to think about those things. It's too great for me. It's too grand for me. I don't want to go to the deep places and have, really you know, think about those. I'd rather just cruise through life and think about myself and my own life. And we get a little bit dismissive about them, and we kind of shun differences in religion. We shun differences in different areas. And if that's you, you're a bonehead don't be a bonehead, but consider the power of words that really matter. We've all said things where we go, oh, I'm a bonehead. We've said things that we wish we could take back. And yet at the same time, no matter what you speak like or no matter what bone you might you know, represent, we all know what a treasure it is when someone slows down and really listens to what we have to say. Whether we're right or wrong, they slow down and they care for us. You can just tell this person cares for me because they've listened to what I have to say. They just, it's like I could give my heart to that person because they're such a good listener. And we just know what it feels like to be cared for when someone truly listens to your heart. You might be a guest here today. You might have come with someone. You might have brought a friend with you. You might be a regular here. Uh, but I'll tell you what, church is the greatest place to begin to unpack and decide, well, what would I believe or what do I believe about what the Bible says and to think about God or some of those big questions in life. Church is a perfect place to begin to explore that. And if you're new here today with us, we're just glad that you're here. We're glad that you've come. And we wanted to kind of set a date for you today to be in a comfortable environment where you can be yourself and just be able to think about some of the deeper questions and that you're able to listen, you're able to hear, you're able to think, you're able to interact well, you'll never find Jesus' bones. You won't ever find them because he is a risen Lord. It's interesting, at the point that he was crucified, then he was dead and buried, put in the tomb. And the way it happened is that they actually took him down off the cross. All the people who were being crucified that day, there were three, took them down off the cross so there weren't dead bodies out during the, the uh, Passover celebration and during the Sabbath. And it was very anti-Jewish to have a dead body out. And so they, did, they said, please take them all down. Let's bury these people. So they took the body of Jesus down before sundown, before Sabbath would start. And they put him in a tomb. And Jesus was dead. Now the Roman soldiers investigated his body, stuck him with a spear and water and blood flowed, which is not just blood flowing, but the body already in that decomposition process starting. Jesus was dead. They put him in a tomb. And they buried him at that time. Well, they couldn't prepare his body. There wasn't enough time. They couldn't embalm it in any way. They couldn't put all the spices and the things that they would do in any way. And so they had to wait till the Sabbath was done. So Friday night, Saturday all day. The third day then, Sabbath would break, Sunday morning. And so the first day of the week. And so these ladies actually got spices and went 
to prepare Jesus' body, which is kind of gross because he's already been in there a couple days, and he was beat, and he was tortured, and he died for your sin and for mine. And yet they had a tough task to do. And that's where the story picks up. If you have your Bible with you, open it up to Mark chapter 16. You can look on your smartphone uh, if you want to as well. If you've got a Bible app or you can take a paper Bible or we'll have it on the screens. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and listen to these words, just as he told you. So the women show up. There's an angel there. We know that because the other gospel accounts clearly describe the angel being there and glowing very white. We know that because the soldiers who were put on duty at the time When the angel showed up and rolled the stone away, these are trained mercenaries, and they get in the fetal position, basically, and lie down and shake like dead men because they realize they have interacted with power that they have no power over. And this angel comes and rolls the stone away, and they come and they interact with this, and the angel says, listen, he is risen. He is not here. And now he tells them to go and tell the disciples, and he says that he'll go into Galilee just as Jesus had said. There's something when someone of power speaks that makes you and I listen. If they have authority, if they have power, we listen in a unique way. And the resurrection events were exact fulfillments of the very words of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just go endure all this stuff and say, okay, it's just the way it's going to be. He forecast it. He told his disciples again and again and again what was to happen from the Old Testament of the authentic Messiah. And then he said, that's going to be me, and it's going to happen to me. But the disciples, they they couldn't picture it. Life was going on. Things seemed to be going well in the kingdom of God. And they thought, Jesus is just going to be with us forever, and we're going to be with him forever. Then he's betrayed, arrested, tortured, crucified and dies. But Jesus gave him a heads up as to what was going to happen. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, after three days, rise again. He uses the phrase Son of Man. This is the Old Testament uh, phrase that would describe the authentic Messiah. So Jesus is speaking about himself when he says, the Son of Man, he's saying, this is going to happen to me. They would understand is that, that he was, Jesus was forecasting. So not only in Mark 8, 31, but Mark 9, 31, we see this again. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. 
And Mark 10, again, he says this in verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will listen to these things, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus is very specific about what's going to happen. He knows exactly what is going to happen. The resurrection events were exact fulfillments of the very words of Jesus. He forecast it. He knew what was going to happen, and he was specific about it. Well, his enemies understood that Jesus' words carried authority and power. They were completely aware of his words. They feared them because they carried authority and power. Jesus spoke, and he had authority and power. They didn't like how the people responded to Jesus because when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. He spoke with power, and they couldn't. They only had position. They were just religiously entitled leaders. And when they spoke, people might listen. They maybe not. But when Jesus spoke, he had authority and he had power, and they feared it. In fact, they did it so much that when Jesus died, they began to walk through damage control. Matthew 27, verse 62 says this, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, who was the governor, the Roman governor. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he'd been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now these men understood the authority and the power in Jesus' words. See, they had come along. They deceived other people and made false accusations against Christ to get Christ killed. They would deceive others, but here's what they knew. They knew they could never catch Jesus in a lie. They had never known him to lie, that he wouldn't do it, that he was a man of his word, that he would speak truthfully to them, and he was straightforward with them, and they oftentimes didn't like what he had to say. They feared it because they had heard him say, I will rise again after three days. And so they go and they post the guard. And as you know, the angel rolls the stone away. The guards lie there dead. The guards run back to the chief priests and the elders. And the elders say, hey, okay, here, here's a lot of money. You need to start propagating the story. The disciples stole the body. And just stick with that story. And I will appease Pilate so he won't kill you for failing on the job. And so that story began to get circulated. But it was just simply damage control. See, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, God the Father from heaven, as Jesus is going to get baptized, speaks from heaven. He says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. So he says this, right? This voice comes from heaven as Jesus is going to get baptized. Jesus goes down to the river. He's going to be baptized. What's he being baptized for? He's being baptized to symbolize somebody who dies, gets buried, and rises up again. That's what baptism is represents. When a person gets baptized, that's what they're publicly saying is, I associate with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism doesn't save you. It's an outward expression of what God's already done in a person's heart. 
And so when they get baptized, it's not a promise to live a better life. It's not like being washed from your sins. No, Jesus has already done that as you're in relationship with him. But when a person is baptized, so Jesus models this. And as the voice of God from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased, he says these very important words. He says, listen to him. And that's really good advice for us today. Listen to him. Listen to the power of his words. Listen to, as John describes, the word. The word became flesh. The word that spoke creation into being. God Almighty became flesh and dwelt among men. And he's speaking in John chapter 1 about Jesus. That Jesus left heaven, came to earth as God. And as human, the only God-man who ever existed, lived a perfect life. The word became flesh and dwelt among people. And God from heaven is now saying, listen to the word and the words that he has to say. Well, why is that important for us? Because listening is kind of important. See, it's by the ear that our first parents listened to the serpent in the garden and lost paradise. And it's also with the ear that now we listen and respond to the words of Jesus that we, in fact, gain heaven. That what was torn apart and lost becomes found. That paradise taken away becomes restored after our death in presence with God himself in right relationship with him. Well, not only does the resurrection events show that they were exact words of Jesus. Not only do his words have authority and power, but number three, the resurrection is the final and decisive confirmation of the authority of Jesus Christ's word. See, Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. And he did. So what does he do? He rises again. And the first people that he interacts with, the women are at the tomb, and they hear this word from the angel. And one of them gets all distraught as they kind of come back to the tomb, and she's like, what? You know, she, she's confused. She doesn't get it. This is all too, she just went to do spices that day. And, and next thing she knows, she's all confused that maybe the body of Jesus is gone. Jesus appears to her and speaks to her. And the first testimony comes from a woman, which was huge in that day. Did you realize that in that day, women weren't even allowed to testify in court? In that male-dominated society, they didn't even take a woman's word. You were not even allowed in court. You were oftentimes looked at property. You couldn't be trusted, they thought, in that day, but not Jesus. Jesus comes, the very first people he interacts with, the first one that after rising from the dead, he reveals himself to is Mary. And he tells her, go tell the disciples now. And she says, my king and my God. She understands who he is. She understands what's happened. So these women run off and tell the disciples. And I love that Jesus validates the testimony through the most unlikely source. The first testimony came from the women. They run to the disciples. They hear about the disciples. Like, we got to go see for ourselves. They go check out the tomb. Then they obey. They go up into Galilee because Jesus will meet them there as he has promised. Jesus then reveals himself to them. He reveals himself to the disciples. He shows up. He walks through a wall one time. He shows up. Thomas wasn't available at the time. He was out. So another time when Thomas is with the disciples, Jesus shows up again, appears. They think he's a ghost. They give him something to eat, realize ghosts don't eat. And so Jesus is like, give me something to eat. And so he eats with them and he's talking with them. Thomas is there and he's like, I wouldn't believe until I he, he says, well, here's my hands, and here's the wound in my side. He shows him his 
now healed wounds. And Thomas, who doubted, says, my king and my God. Not just a man, not just a prophet, but God himself. Jesus then walks along with these people on the way on the road to Emmaus. And they're just walking to this little town not far from Jerusalem. And they're just on the road walking there. And Jesus kind of starts walking along with them. They begin talking about all the crazy events that happened over the weekend. And, and the crazy events were things like that an earthquake, big earthquake happened. But the moment that Jesus died, that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That darkness in the middle of the day suddenly appeared. And it was completely dark, not cloudy, not overcast, but dark. And then the darkness left during part of Jesus' crucifixion. That all these things have happened. That this earthquake broke open tombs on the hillside where they had sepulchers above ground. And some of them shook and broke open and bodies rolled out. And nobody can go put the bodies back in because you can't touch a dead thing on the Sabbath. After Jesus rose from the dead, some of those bodies came to life and began walking around in the city and interacting with people. They were holy people who also rose. Crazy stuff has been happening. And they're walking on the road, and these guys are like, you, you haven't heard about the stuff that's going on? Well, so they bring him up to speed. Well, Jesus then begins to walk them through all the Old Testament forecasting of what would happen to the Messiah, what should happen to the Messiah, what the Messiah intended to do, and how it was all foretold to the. And they said, weren't our hearts burning as this man was walking along with us? And then Jesus blesses the meal as they're all together, and he disappears. And they were just, they knew it's the Lord. Our hearts were burning within us as we walked along the road. We didn't know why, but it was Jesus. All these things have been happening at that time. Jesus, in fact, revealed himself to over 500 people at one gathering. That would be like if Jesus just walked out right now here on the stage and walked up next to us and we all knew it was Jesus and we were like, yeah, you know, it's awesome. But he just comes walking out right here and then the police who interview us all afterwards, it's like we're all giving, no, he, seriously, he came out like on stage and like it was Jesus and we all, it, it would be really hard to discount the witness of 500 people at one time. What's interesting to me is Jesus does not go back to the chief priests and those who had him condemned to death Man, wouldn't you be scared if you were one of those people? You're having the guy crucified, and as it's crucified, it goes dark in the middle of the day, and you're like, what? And then there's earthquakes, and then there's stuff that's going on, and you're just like, crazy. How afraid would you be? They knew, Jesus said, I'll rise after. And the stuff leading up and during his crucifixion made them believe that, you know what? It just might happen. So he doesn't appear to his enemies. I like that about God. His intent is not to prove himself to those who are in abject enmity against him. But his job is to seek and save those who are lost, who have ears to hear his words. After the resurrection, Jesus is on earth for about 40 days. And then he ascends up to heaven. His disciples are all there. A lot of people are all there. And Jesus ascends back up into heaven. And the disciples aren't totally sure what to do. And they're kind of hanging out. They're waiting for God's Holy Spirit to come upon them. And God begins transforming people's lives. These scared fishermen who were his disciples begin to become public speakers. 
They're untrained. They're not trained in public speaking. They get up and they begin to preach what the Old Testament forecast about Jesus and about all the events that had gone in the city that everybody was aware of. And they begin to say that you killed Jesus and that there's a response because Jesus rose from the dead. You must respond to him. And thousands of people begin to come to Christ. Some of these timid fishermen now all of a sudden become public speakers and they're proclaiming the word of Jesus. There were those who were religious zealots. And they would want to go and attack Rome like guerrilla warfare against the Roman soldiers who were in the area. And you watch these people's lives be transformed and they soften and they begin to love other people with their words and with their actions. Jesus begins transforming lives. And so what happens? The church now begins. But I got to tell you, all the church had to stand upon, the church kind of had to find its way in those early days, had to find its way through the words of Jesus. You know, it, they no longer had him present. He had ascended into heaven. But the resurrection assured people that his word was trustworthy and powerful. He had said it would happen, and it happened. So they knew as we start this off, as we begin to proclaim the good news about Jesus, we can do it because he said it would happen. We've learned to trust his word. He said he would rise from the dead, and he did. There's authority. There's power in the words of Jesus. And so people's lives began being transformed. And it didn't just end with those people in those days. Our lives become transformed. I remember when a person stood on a stage and, and just shared the truth about Jesus with me. And I was sitting like you would be sitting. And they began to reveal and open the scriptures. And I remember my heart saying, I've got to respond to this. And so I gave my life to Christ. God, I give you my life. I, I don't have anything to offer you. I just give you what I am. I'm a mess. And I just give you, you know, to me. And, and I was just angry in a lot of ways. And I, I had a, a really quick temper. My brothers would always give me grief because they just say it would be so easy just to make you, you know, kind of angry. And what happened is after I gave my life to Christ and I prayed that prayer, received it as my Lord, I began to see that some stuff was different. That stuff I had tried to change was changing in me. Like, I had tried, like, really hard. And what I noticed first was that my temper didn't go away, but the quickness of my temper began to go away. That there was something changing in me that I had tried to change. Transformation was happening. And it didn't just end with the people back in that day. God is still transforming lives today. Will you watch this video? My name is John Ripple, and I've been going to Sun Grove since September. I'm Casey Ripple, and I've been going to Sun Grove since November of last year. Um, I grew up Mormon, and um, and the oldest of nine, a typical Mormon household, um, and that was it was a pretty disciplined home, and there that's we were very very Mormon growing up, and I was Mormon until I was probably sixteen when a lot of the questions I had didn't have very satisfactory answers, so I stopped. And I grew up with no religion. Um, my parents basically said, go find out what you believe, but I didn't have any tools and nobody to go to to find out what I believed. Your, so your I parents were hippies. My parents were that's hippies. It, no, but that's so much hippies that they had tickets to all the major events in the 60s and didn't go because they were too stoned hippies. It's true. So. Um, not, not much guidance. We met at a, we met at a bar, and it was um, love at first sight. And I said, hey, you, want to go have a cigarette? And it was love. He told me, we're going to get married. And I said, yeah, 
I, I don't think we've spent a day apart since. Yeah, and then um, things have just been great ever since. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. In every way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so about three and a half years ago, um, there was a house behind my house that was um, functioning as a church, and I decided to check it out. And um, I met Jenna and Anne. I just knew, like, we'll be best friends. So when she decided to come over to this church, she was like, you know, come, come see this church. And I was like, eh, you know, I, I've tried it. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing good with church. And she wasn't pushy. It was just, you know, oh, we're having this event. You want to see? You wanna... And so I, I don't even know what the first event was, but I came and there was people who loved people. They, you know, weren't cousins. They weren't sisters. They, you know, they just loved each other. I really liked that. And I really wanted that in my life. So she said, well, we're doing a community group. So you can be part of that. You know, if you don't want to start doing the church yet, let's do a community group. And everybody in that group is just beautiful. But I've just been begging, you know, Jesus, are you there? Like, I believe in you, but are you like, do you even know that I'm here? Am I worth you knowing? Um, you know, send me a sign, you know, can you make my pencil move? Can you, you know, knock on my door? And meanwhile, I have all these people coming into my life who care about me, who care about my husband, my family, that ask about Jack. They've never met Jack. Um, and so I'm just asking for a sign and it like struck me, wait a minute, that's my sign. I've been needing people who really genuinely love me and you've given me those people. Like, duh, there it is. But it was, it was in, a, in a moment with Casey where we finally just both realized sort of simultaneously. It was a Wednesday and um, Chad sent us an email saying, everybody's sick, we're not doing community group. But we have a sitter, so we're like, let's go gamble. Let's let's go to Thunder Valley. Let's do this. <laughs> so we're driving and we're discussing back and forth, um, you know, our views, where we're at, um, and it was like, well, why don't, why wouldn't you be Christian? You know, what is it? Do you not believe? What's you know, where are you at? And same thing with me. And um, I didn't like the thought of Jesus dying for my sins. I'll take my punishment. And that was my own ego and to not even realize what well, he already did. We got out of the car and we prayed and um, but really more just a prayer of gratitude. It wasn't um, anything. I mean, it, it literally was thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, um, Casey and I both have always believed uh, in a higher power. It's just a different scenario when you realized when you realized I was saved and, and somebody Somebody did that for me. Being thankful for that mm -hmm. is really what we did in that moment. It's really awesome. So uh, a couple weeks ago, Casey is going to get baptized. So she came up front. She's going to get baptized, and John's here, and. And so, again, just publicly saying, God saved us, saved us on the way to the casino. You know, we, we just came and just prayed to the Lord, and just he saved us. And, and so now I'm publicly going to say that. So she, she was baptized, uh, raised to new life in Christ, and, uh, and John is here, and he's watching. He wasn't totally ready yet. And uh, in that moment, we come right up to the end. He's like, nope, I, I need to get baptized. And we say, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And so he gave his testimony. And he's handing us all his, like, his keys and his wallet. He's just in his regular clothes, you know, keys, wallet, everything. And he starts walking up the steps into the baptistry. And I go, John, wait, wait, wait. You got your boots on. They're like nice leather boots. And he goes, nope. 
the boots are going in. And so he just gets in the tank and uh, in his boots, and there they are, a picture of them, boots all soaking wet, um, just said, as I am, Lord, here I go, and, and I'm just going to publicly say it, you know, in a, in a pretty public way. And then I think there's another picture of, of uh, them getting baptized. I think there's one more. There you go. So uh, he's on his way up there in the stairs. Casey's already been baptized. She's on the left-hand side. And, and again, God is just transforming lives. That, that right there, that's an external, a public telling that God has changed our lives already in a very private uh, way on the inside. And God is transforming me. God still does that. And he's about that. And God made, Jesus made it clear that his words will never pass away. That his word, when he says it, his word is permanent. And I want you to realize that Mark 13, 31, Jesus says, quote, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The spoken word of God will never pass away. It's interesting to look that you and I, we will pass away. Uh, our time on earth will come to an end. We are temporary, but God's word is eternal. When he speaks it, that's the way it is. And there is power for us, though, in the words of Jesus. There's power in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There's power available to you in your life for transformation to do in you what you cannot do on your own through Jesus Christ. I've experienced it personally. Casey and John have experienced it. Many others of you right here in the room have already done that. And you realize, number four, if you're taking notes today, that Jesus said that a person's eternal destiny depends on one's response to Jesus and his words. The question you and I ask is, who is Jesus? You must answer that question. Who is Jesus? Was he a prophet? Was he a madman? Was he a lunatic? Or was he the God-man? Look at his words. Evaluate it by looking at what he says. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Everything hangs on the words of Jesus and your attitude and response to those words. Your eternal destiny hangs on how you answer that question. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he's talking about the resurrection, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you do it? You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Why? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified means just as if I never did it. All that bad stuff, all those boneheaded words, all those things that you and I have done that we're ashamed of, that we carry the weight of, all those things are wiped away that Jesus paid the shame, the guilt, the penalty, God's wrath of that on the cross. And they are wiped away. And he begins to work with us like a new creation. So it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
See, a saving relationship with Jesus goes hand in hand with an unshakable faith in two areas. Number one, an unshakable faith in the resurrection that Christ rose from the dead. And two, the written word of God that now you proclaim who Jesus is. Let me ask, what could you give in exchange for your soul? Your bones? Nobody wants those. You don't need them anymore. Because at that moment, your soul is separated from your physical body at the moment of death. And you, your soul, the real you, who will live forever somewhere, has to answer that question. What will you answer based on the words of Jesus, these words of authority, these words of powers, the words and the predictions and the events that reveal him to be God? come to earth with the sole purpose of saving you. And what's standing in the way? Is it your ego? Is it your presuppositions? Do you have too much knowledge that you can't wade through it all to see the clear truth? Do you have ears to hear the words of Jesus? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes simply so that you're not distracting anyone around you or being distracted yourself? I want you to answer this question. Would you respond today to the invitation of Jesus to be saved? Would you realize what he did on the cross for your sin? That he rose to new life, that he's ascended to heaven, that he's coming back again, and that someday every person will stand before him and he'll say, what did you do with my words? How did you respond? What would you give in exchange for your soul? And you say, nothing except the body and the blood of Jesus. It was all you, all you all along. If you'd like to ask Jesus to come in your heart, you'd like to be saved today, you do it through an invitation. It's a free gift. He's offering it to you, but you've got to receive it. And the way that you do that today is simply by praying something like this right where you're seated. Just pray it really quiet, just in your heart. God hears you. But if you want to be saved today, you pray maybe something like this right after me. Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you rose from the dead. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. Wash me of my sin. Raise me to new life. Begin to transform me today. I believe you and I take you at your word. Jesus, today I say yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just raise up your hand right where you're at? Hold it real high. It's right where you're at, right here. We've got some ushers who'd like to give you some information. Maybe you guys could come down this way. We've got a couple up here. Just hold your hand, keep holding your hand up. That's awesome, you guys, because uh, they're going to give you some information that helps you understand the decision you've made. That's so great. You can just keep your hands up. If you've got your hand up, you can look up at me, too. There's the greatest decision you could ever make. It took a person standing on stage telling me the same stuff, and it's been transformational for my life. So awesome. You guys, anywhere else around the room, just if you don't you look around so that you can find an usher if you've got your hand up all over the place. Awesome. Right there in the back row, uh, right behind you, Kenny. Look to the right. There you go. Anywhere else? Awesome. Lord, we are so thankful for you. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you, God, for saving me from my sin, past, present, and future. 
We are humbled, God, that you would give your life, that you would love like that, that you gave your only son. And we're so in awe that you rose from the dead, and we celebrate that today, God. We celebrate that you are bringing people from death to life right here in this room today. Sun Grove Church, give it up for what God is doing among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.